a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Welcome to this edition of Global Business. I'm Jin Yufeng coming up on the program. Healthy sign. China's top economic planner, the NDRC, anticipates a moderate rise in inflation in 2024. Trading milestones being 33 years since China's stock exchange began trading with standing its achievements. GPA impetus. Wednesday marks the 24th anniversary of Macau's return to China and policies are out to promote integration into the Great Bay Area. The Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of Emergency Management have allocated 200 million yuan, equivalent to approximately 28 million US dollars, in disaster relief funds to Gansu and Qinghai provinces in northwest China. The primary objectives of this funding is to ensure the safety of lives and property, as well as to minimize the losses and damages caused by a tremor. The earthquake measuring 6.2 magnitude occurred on Monday, shortly before midnight, with its epicenter located in Gansu's Jishishan County near Qinghai's Donghai city. The death toll has currently reached 118 and a significant number of uh, responders have been dispatched to aid in rescue and relief operations. The initial batch of relief supplies including tents and clothing have already been delivered to the affected areas. China's National Development and Reform Commission, or NDRC, expects a moderate rise in inflation next year. During a press conference on Tuesday, the NDRC said the Consumer Price Index, or CPI, has remained at a low level this year and expressed confidence in achieving the country's economic and social development targets. The Chao spokesperson for the Commission emphasized that with the ongoing economic recovery and the gradual effectiveness of policies, China has the necessary conditions and capabilities to promote sustainable economic improvement. Looking ahead, the NDRC plans to enhance macro control efforts, prepare policy tools to address potential risks and challenges, prioritize high-quality development, support the growth of the private sector, and attract the utilize and utilize foreign investment. For more discussion on the NDRC meeting, we'll bring in Chu Chang, a research fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University. Uh, Mr. Chu, the NDRC has emphasized the importance of having appropriate policy tools to address a range of risks. Uh, what specific risks are the NDRC referring to and what policy tools are available? Well, I think most important uh, risk that we're facing is, I think, the natural disasters and climate change. Everybody is seeing that we have the earthquake recently. Uh, the plate movement is ferocious in the recent few years, and also we've seen uh, the cold tide and the tornadoes in the uh, Pacific Ocean and etc. It caused many of the uh, damages in here. So I think the NDRC and together with the State Council are bringing about, uh, you know, more than trillions of Chinese yuan worth of saving packages to remedy for the infrastructures like the sewage systems, like the emergency aid systems, uh, providing the uh, minimum loans for the small and the medium-sized enterprises in those regions to make sure that, uh, you know, people's livelihood and also production activities would not be affected. And meanwhile, I think the other uh, uh, risk is would be concerning about uncertainties in the global economy. We're still not sure about what's going to happen, uh, you know, in the coming one or two months uh, at the end of the year. So I think uh, it's very important to make sure that the basic investment on infrastructures, the basic trade conditions can be maintained. 
So the NDRC provided more than 1.28 trillion uh, Chinese yuan worth of packages to support enterprises, uh, innovations on the research, uh, rural area revitalization, as well as for transportation infrastructure and energy supplies. So with all this, we can guarantee that uh, uh, transportation in China can be guaranteed, and also the energy supply and the heating system can work properly against such an extreme condition of the weather, as well as for the supply of food and agricultural products can be make sure to deliver on people's food table. Mm. Mr. Chu, industrial enterprises have experienced constant growth in profits for three consecutive quarters, according to data, with over 70% of the industry witnessing improved profitability. How would you interpret this trend in the context of the industrial sector's performance? Well, I think uh, industrial sectors for China is definitely very resilient and vibrant, especially for the high-end manufacturing as well as equipment manufacturing. We'll be seeing about uh, respectively 8% or and the 10% of the growth of this year, especially against the current backdrop that the whole world economy is still in a very uncertain situation. So it shows that Chinese, you know, high-tech products in the manufacturing sectors are truly welcomed and more than ever needed for the current recovery of the world economy. But I think for the other sectors, for example, like, uh, you know, realistic uh, market or property market, uh, you know, related uh, uh, construction sectors and the manufacturing, they still need to be recovered with the uh, confidence and uh, with economic activity in this area. Mm. Throughout this year, consumer price index inflation has remained relatively low, even dipped into below zero level. The NDRC has stated that it anticipates moderate recovery inflation next year. What's your perspective? Well, I think uh, last year, all the data can be really confusing because if you remembered, well, I think we still have the memory. Last year, this time of the year, um, we're facing the recovery of the uh, pandemic, right? Uh, we reopened our whole economy, and at the same time, we're facing extremely coldness. So this two factor overlapping together, we faced a choke point on transportation, as well as uh, the storage problems and delivery problems and consumption problems uh, on the uh, food, especially vegetables and mm. the pork. If you have to know that CPI index is really anchored very heavily on the vegetables and the pork. Mm. So last year, this two product prices really high. So base number is high, so which makes today this CPI number year-on-year year growth is really, really slow. Mm. But I think if we can take away those factors, the real CPI is actually on the positive growth, especially for the core CPI. So we're very confident that after one or two months, especially approaching the Spring Festival, this number will recover very steadily. Okay, Mr. Chu, thank you for your insights. Please stay with us with more discussion later on the program. China has been actively pursuing high-level opening up since the 18th CPC National Congress. Thanks to the leadership of Chinese President Xi Jinping, China has made visible achievements in building the Belt and Road Initiative and accelerating operations of free trade zone strategies. Meanwhile, China is also shoring up efforts in negotiating free trade agreements and developing trade partnerships with other countries. Optimizing the business environment and protecting the legal rights of foreign enterprises and investors in China is another focus for high-level opening up. As such, China is stepping up efforts to build a dual circulation development strategy led by domestic development and supplemented by international development. The western region of China have emerged as a prominent hub for Chinese opening up to the world, exemplified by the rapid development of the Lanxi Trade Corridor. This corridor has been established through the construction of new roads, railways, seaports and airports, 
effectively connecting nearly 70 cities in western China with 480 ports spanning across 120 countries and regions. Prominent cities along this corridor, including Urumqi, Lhasa, Xi'an and Nanning, the capital of Guangxi Autonomous Region in the south part of the country. During the first three quarters of the year, the corridor witnessed the transportation of around 630,000 TEU containers, reflecting a 14% increase compared to the previous year. To enhance the logistics network of the corridor, 78 additional railway lines were constructed in 2022, with the continuous expansion of transportation infrastructure and supportive trade policies, China's western regions have become a new frontier for its engagement with the global economy, facilitating increased connectivity and trade opportunities. For more on this, let's uh, get back to Mr. Chu Chao for us on China's western region development. Uh, Mr. Chu, in 1999, the central government introduced the western development strategy marking a significant milestone in promoting the development of China's vast western region. Has the process of reform and opening up played a role in driving this development? Oh yes, of course. Uh, back in the 1990s, we have a specific uh, national plan for the uh, revitalizing or development of the Grand West, uh, that's for sure. But actually, we did not quite imagine about a concept. That is not because we do not have any plan for the West region of China, but because we have more and a bigger plan for this region. Uh, we have the revitalization of rural China. We have the grand opening up policies for all over China, including the West. And we have the uh, marching the West of infrastructures and plans in the Western region of China. And this actually has basically shifted the ground, uh, you know, pictures of the whole Western region, which is like 60% of the territories and more than 30% of the Chinese population live in there. So right now, if you go to even the furthest Western regions in China, we find our economy has been highly integrated into the global economy. For example, you can ride a high-speed rail from the Chongqing region in the Western China to directly ship your uh, you know, cargo to the center region of the Western Europe. And also, if you go to the Tibet, if you go to the Xizang province of China, you will find out you can find the Budweiser, well, one of the most famous beer brand having their factory in the Xizang, the highest ground of the whole, uh, whole earth. And also, if you go to the Xinjiang province, you will find out that many agriculture companies are setting up their plants in there serving the whole world customers. So I think the Grand West of China has been really part of the global economy right now, and people's living standard has been promoted as well. Mm. The economic development of Western China has historically lagged behind the Eastern region due to factors such as limited resources and environmental constraints and transportation. However, in recent years, there has been a notable progress in closing this development gap. So how has the Western region managed to catch up? Well, I think there are several key words. One is targeted poverty alleviation. And second is revitalization of the rural area. And thirdly is that the green development of forces that develop the region according to their own advantages. So for example, for the Xizang province, they're very beautiful, you know, natural scenario. So tourism becomes a key product in their uh, local economy as well as the uh, ecological industry. For example, like I mentioned, the above weather, the beverage industry, because they have the most cleanest water in the whole world, is very good for the beverage production. Xinjiang province, vast farming land, very good quality of their fruits, grain, and other agriculture products. 
and also Guangxi provinces. They be famous for linking the ASEAN nations, good for international trade and production. Let me give you just a, one of the example or two of the example. Guangxi province, even though they're still lagging behind in Chinese economy, uh, uh, comparing to other provinces, but compared with the well, two of the shiniest uh, economic stars in the recent years, like uh, Vietnam, Vietnam has been experiencing high-speed growth for more than 10 years, but similar size and similar population. Vietnam's economy as a country is still smaller than Guangxi province as one province. Mm. And also Xizang, as a furthest western region in China, in Lhasa, their infrastructure level is even higher than another star, India, better than uh, New Delhi's infrastructure as a city. So you can see this is the achievement and the you know, upbringing of the local economy by the national policy towards Western development. That's great insights. Very uh, interesting comparison. Thank you so much. That's Mr. Chu Chang, fellow research, research fellow of Beijing Foreign Studies University. Come up next. It's been 33 years since the Shanghai Stock Exchange began trading. We examine its achievement and challenges. world economy as we know it is about to change. Global business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global business. Only on CGTN. The Shanghai Stock Exchange is celebrating its 33 years of anniversary on Tuesday and has achieved several milestones over the past three decades. In 2022 alone, the trading volume of stocks reached 69.3 trillion yuan and a total fund raising in the stock market amounted to 847 billion yuan. The bond market featured 26,000 listed bonds with a custody volume of nearly 16 trillion yuan. Additionally, the fund market witnessed a list of, uh, listing of 614 funds, accumulating a total trading volume of 18.8 trillion yuan. Data trading volume on the Shanghai Stock Exchange is expected to exceed 10 billion yuan in 2023. It's been, 20, it's been 33 years since the trading commenced on the Shanghai Stock Exchange. Since then, the exchange has become one of the most important places for mainland companies to raise funds and better serve the real economy. Zhang Shixuan has more. Zhen Chen's business has been deeply involved in the development of the stock exchanges on the mainland for almost two decades. He is a lawyer that specializes in helping companies with their IPO listings. Shen's team was one of the first to help with the first batch of IPO listings on the SciTech Innovation Board, widely known as the Star Board back in 2019, which piloted a new registration-based system. In the past four years, his team has helped with 20 IPO listings, more than 80% of them on the Star Board. We mainly help companies in the advanced manufacturing, semiconductor and biopharma industries, those in the high-tech sector with fundraising. So many of them got listed on the star board in the past. A company should now prove a need for capital in order to invest in technological upgrades to be approved to be listed on the star board. As Shen points out, the board is now putting an increasing emphasis on fundraising for tech developers to better solve problems in a real economy. 
and this year with the entire A share market using the registration-based system. There has been a clearer picture in the characteristics and functions of the different boards on the mainland. Positions are now clearer. For example, some companies that have not registered profits can just go listing on the star board. And some smaller scale companies with, with fewer links to technology can list on the China Next board. The market is obviously not satisfied with domestic investment alone. The Shanghai Stock Exchange has been seeking more fundraising channels through international cooperation, with the launch of Stock Connects with Switzerland and the UK. The needs is definitely here, um, so especially when next year um, some international economies probably will be continue to slow down. But what here, the growth, if we, want, if, uh, if we look at the relative basis, we still have the, one of the highest growth rate around the world, so I think the demand for the international investors to invest in China and also as a part of their portfolio diversifications is also there. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for the cross-border fund um, to move to China. So there's um, some important things for the Shanghai Stock Exchange to cooperate with other exchanges. For the Chinese companies, they also have some demand, let's say, to list in overseas. So I think the Shanghai Stock Exchange also can play a role here. As of Monday, 2,260 companies have been listed on the Shanghai Stock Exchange. A report from the consulting firm EY shows that the Chinese mainland was an important place for global IPO activity this year. IPO proceeds from the A-share market accounted for more than 40% of the total proceeds raised globally as of mid-November. Zhang Shixuan, ICS for CGTN, Shanghai. For more discussion on the Shanghai Stock Exchange, let's bring in Hong Hao, Chief Economist of Grow Investment Group. Thanks for joining us, Ms. Hong. The Shanghai Composite Index hit a low of 2,914 points, roughly around that level, a new low today of the year. What are the reasons behind this weakness? Yeah, thanks for having me. There are many uh, reasons for stock market fluctuation. But one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, so most of the times the daily fluctuation has nothing to do with the fundamentals. And this has been uh, proven uh, by Professor uh, Robert Schiller. Uh, so I think, you know, there are many uh, reasons why, you know, stock market is acting this way. But I think, you know, more importantly, it's the pessimism uh, that is still prevalent in the marketplace. Uh, I think, you know, as uh, uh, the year coming to an end and also a new cycle, a new year begins, uh, then uh, people will see more visibility uh, in terms of economic recovery, uh, growth uh, reversal, uh, and also you know some improvement in the property sector. If those things happen, you know it will help uh, to stabilize the market performance. Mm. The just concluded Central Government Working Economic Conference set the tone for the economic activity next year, the policies next year. Do you think China's A shares will buck the current weak trend and return to growth next year? Um, I think so. You know, right now we are, you know, at the bottom of the cycle. You know, remember that, you know, uh, we, we spent some time, you know, trying to build the bottom uh, uh, this year. Uh, so in the first quarter this year, you know, there's a very strong rally in the Asia market and also in the Asia uh, market as well. Uh, Hong Kong was up 50 percent. I think the Asia is up 20 percent. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a very strong uh, performance by, by any standard. Uh, so I think, you know, going into the new year, you know, with the um, uh, economic uh, target of 5% growth uh, for next year uh, and also, you know, special policies such as the uh, 
the special uh, bond issuance of one trillion yuan uh, that is uh, uh, being deployed. Uh, and also, uh, central bank continue to uh, use monetary policy to support the market. Then you know there are more reasons to uh, to be uh, positive about the market next right. year. Thank you. And today marks the 33-year anniversary of the Shanghai Stock Exchange. It's been operating for a very long time now. We, we just can't say it's in its infant now. So, what has been its major achievements in a time, and ref what reforms are required for its future? Yeah, there are like so many uh, huge achievements uh, over the past three decades. Uh, so I would just name a few. You know, for example, you know, in, in the past 30 years, uh, the Shanghai Stock Exchange has become one of the largest stock exchange in the world, you know, with the highest uh, trading volume. Uh, that's number one. And also uh, Shanghai Stock Exchange has helped uh, the Chinese companies to raise uh, financing, uh, to reinvest in the business, to grow. Uh, so it, it, it it serves a, a tremendous uh, capital market uh, function and also uh, social value as well. Uh, and, and lastly, I think you know Chinese households has been using stocks as one of the key channels uh, for asset allocation and help them to grow their personal wealth. So I think all in all, you know, it's been tremendous uh, three decades, and I think you know, uh, good times are ahead. Are ahead uh, later uh, in the next decade. Good time ahead. Hope we can use that word to describe 2024. Thank you so much. Hong Hao, Chief Economist of Grow Investment Group, joining us. China's Macau Special Administrative Region will hold a flag-raising ceremony and reception to mark the 24th anniversary of Macau's return to the Chinese mainland and the establishment of Macau SAR. Despite its compact size, Macau SAR holds significant symbolic value. The retrocession of Macau on December 20, 1999, marked the definitive conclusion of European imperialism in China. Following the handover, Macau experienced stability, remarkable economic growth and enhancements in the lives of its residents, contrasting the tumultuous final days of Portuguese imperialism in the region. The Chinese mainland Hong Kong Macau established a free trade agreement known as CEPA since 2004. The mechanism covers trade in goods and services, investment, as well as economic and technical cooperation. According to the China Customs, from 2004 to 2022, trade volume between the mainland Hong Kong Macau has grown 170%, increasing from 114 billion to 309 billion US dollars. CEPA encouraged mainland enterprises to set up branches in both islands. Hong Kong and Macau still remain the Chinese mainland's largest source and destination of outbound investment. And the framework also granted a zero-tariff policy to manufacturing companies in Hong Kong and Macau. As of May this year, Hong Kong enjoyed $16 billion US dollars of zero-tariff goods, saving more than $1.3 billion of, of tariffs while Hong Kong, uh, Macau enjoyed $168 million US dollars of zero-tariff goods with concessions worth 11 million US dollars. And the Hong Kong Trade Development Council expects Hong Kong's exports to grow by 4 to 6% in 2024. For more discussion on Macau's development and its integration into the Greater Bay Area, let's bring in Liu Baochun, Dean of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Uh, Professor Liu, the State Council recently approved the overall development plan for Guangdong, 
Macau Deep Cooperation Zone in Hengqing. It's a district in the uh, uh, city of Zhuhai. What is the importance of Hengqing in Macau's future development? Well, I visited Macau a number of times. I just feel one thing uh, unpleasant is that uh, the traffic jam. And uh, you can see that Macau does not really have the right space to accommodate so many people. Think of that, one kilometers to accommodate more than 20,000 people. Mm. So therefore, they need better space. And now the Hunting offers uh, double the size of the space of Macau uh, so that uh, they are able to develop certain industries and support the small and bis uh, businesses and more immediately it is there to provide a housing program for the younger generation which is really critically needed and of course you know further integration in terms of infrastructure in terms of uh, finance and uh, in terms of the uh, supply chain uh, is going to benefit Macau a great deal to diversify their uh, excessive reliance on the uh, gaming industry and uh, it gives the people a better livelihood in terms of uh, housing, social security and more job opportunities. Mm. In the Greater Bay Area, Professor, Shenzhen, and Guangzhou and Hong Kong have clear industry strengths such as technology, manufacturing, finance. What are the strengths of Hengqing and Macau? Well, Macau does really enjoy the uh, special treatment from the uh, People's Republic of China as a special administrative uh, loan uh, in terms of the uh, flat tax rate and also uh, Macau as a free port, uh, which has uh, uh, far easier access than some other regions to the rest of the world marketplace. And uh, the uh, Guangzhou area and partic uh, particularly the uh, special economic zone of Zhuhai uh, does offer the uh, uh, land, uh, land space and also more of the educated people and uh, also the integration of the infrastructure and more uh, importantly it is really the sophisticated industries that accommodate more of the young talents from Macau to work with and now to engage in the uh, financial service area and also to promote tourism. So such sort of integration can really benefit uh, all of the uh, participants in, uh, in this area. And uh, for the further integration of the entire Greater Bay Area, so this is going to really proliferate. It's a benefit to uh, a far larger region. So therefore, it is really a very welcome uh, resolution and the good news for everybody involved. With that discussion, we'll wrap up this edition of Global Business. I'm Jiu Feng in Beijing. 